Keen's turn. Part 1. Descent and Deprivation. Written and read by Melina Blanc. Starcross Keen's turn is filmed on location in my closet with my entire production crew. This is the rest of Chapter 4 Red Ruse Jared was almost conscious by the fourth alarm. It broke his latest troubled dream, a twisted shadow puppet show of his last rerouting through Times Square, damp with sweat and blood, the vampire's voice echoing after him, Not to worry, Red. Worry, Red. Red. And prodded him to awareness of the oppressive warmth of the blanket which had crept up him in the night. Dimly, he became aware of an additional noise, a rhythm out of sync with a tinny ringing. Stokes, the crank from the next apartment over, was pounding on the wall. This'll be the second goddamn week in a row, Stern! As far as Jared could tell, Stokes worked a night shift weekends, an arrangement that did no favors for his mood. He made to roll over in bed and froze, stiffening, whether from the sting of the clumsily bandaged cut in his side, the hollow ache of the bruise in his gut, the stuffy throbbing of his head, or some combination. Disentangling his feet from the blanket, he rose gingerly to go the rounds on the alarms, silencing the one with the hammers tucked under the cabinet before it could incense his neighbor further. Stokes stopped pounding, but his head didn't. He sat back down on the bed and rubbed his hands over his face, wincing as his thumb brushed something sore. He went to look in the mirror. A bruise had crept down his cheek from the blow to his head. He looked a wreck. I am a wreck. What the hell am I doing? Trying to get himself killed, apparently. At least I'm as bad at that as I am at killing vampires. Maybe he should not be trying to kill vampires? He took another rueful look at his reflection. It certainly supported the sentiment. It's not like I have to go Saturday. I didn't even agree to it. He could just not go. No one would ever know. No one, aside from the vampire, left hanging at the power station. It's not that simple. I would know. He would know he'd screwed up chickened out and run away. He would know the vampire he'd failed to kill or even to do anything about still roamed the city, murdering innocents. I gotta do something. I can't just let this go. He squeezed his eyes shut, rubbing his pounding temples. I was close. I was so close. If I'd have just had some other weapon or a better stake... Maybe he could do it after all, set up a trap. But the pounding in his head was making it impossible to think. 
Jared went to the bathroom, found a bottle of expired pain medication, and downed a pill. Then he went to throw on some clothes, pausing to change the dressing on his side, before scrounging around for socks he could stand the smell of, until at last he was forced to come to terms with the fact that he'd have to do laundry. He made breakfast instead, paging listlessly through Judy's books over eggs and toast. He still couldn't concentrate. The memory of the tarp was suffocating him, the failures that had led to each of his injuries replaying as the injuries themselves kept up their excoriation of him beneath the heady waves of painkiller. This is insane! I'm not a vampire hunter! I'm an idiot! I'm a useless piece of shit who could barely hold down a job! So let it go. Forget it ever happened. But can I live with that? After everything I've seen? What about the Ted guy in the alley? At this rate, he was just rushing to become another. Beaten and bloody, breathing his last in an abandoned power station from which a phantom ambulance would swallow his savaged corpse. Oh, I don't write him out! Shut up! He finished his breakfast. He did his laundry. As it grew late, he began the redistribution of dirty socks across his floor, and Jared's life attempted to plod back into normalcy, Normal waking troubles, normal worries, normal work, or as normal as work could be, with articles on alleged cultists accompanied by everyone's gawking and lose ill-concealed admiration of whoever had bested him. But normality, such as it was, didn't last long. Something haunted him, catching him in a tremulous quiet, getting ready for bed or standing on the subway, and flooding his mind with disquiet. He may have resolved to have done with the vampire, but the vampire stalked him still. The image of the man slumped in the alley swam before his eyes, hypothetical others piling up beside him, and behind them, Heaps of skeletons, all the people the monster had said he disappeared over the years, with no one to offer them justice. Was there anyone in the world who had more experience fighting this vampire than he did? Who had gotten closer? I can't just leave it. And what was he to do instead? I'll figure it out. More research. The stuff I didn't get to last week. I'll start after work. But as the day progressed, his conviction of duty and fragile confidence did not support him long. Aches and anxieties returned to assail him at every moment of quiet. So after work, instead of research, Jerry did what he always did when he needed to think things through. He went for a walk. Out in the heat and the golden sun, shaded by trees spaced alongside brick apartments, with an easy pace organizing his thoughts into rhythm, he fell among familiar faces in his mind's eye. I think back over the past few hours. We'd barely escaped the Dark Lady Citadel alive. 
Terran's stubby halfling legs had given out, and I'd had to carry him, pick me back, weaving through the hail of the goblin's spears. But it had all been worth it. Now, hold up in the bushes across the river, we've got it at last. The Dark Lady's Orb, from whence, as those fusty scroll scribblers the sages say, all her foul powers emanate. The Moonstone. Years of the brutal subjugation of our races can all be ended, here and now. I gaze into the orb's murky depths, feeling its contaminating pull. Reminds me of that tavern wench. Terran is staring at me, his freckled face tight with worry. You're thinking of the prophecy, aren't you? Is a wizard magic? Of course I am! The heavy-handed words of the sages echo in my ears. To arm the crystal to your will, gaze deep into the clouded orb. They bear your heart to its good and ill, and all its energies absorb. If heed, O pure, take up this call, the darkest citadel shall fall. The orb will shatter from its paw, released shall be the nurses all, and end the reign of moon. But those hopefuls who at the orb. It doesn't look so tough. Anyhow, those sages think a lot of themselves. They were probably just dramatizing to get it to rhyme. And they didn't even do a good job. Terran's expression is more irritating than usual. Don't do it, Star! Somebody's gotta. I sit in the grass and focus on the center of the orb, opening my mind to it. I'm going to end this once and for all. I feel the orb answer me, its clouds parting, something becoming visible deep in the mists. I can't make it out. I lean in, straining to catch a glimpse of the image skirting my vision, tipping forward. Darren catches hold of my jaw, pulling my face aside to face his. Let it go, he cries. It'll kill you. I blink at him. That's a risk I'm willing to take. You don't need to die for this. Just let it go. And so what if I die? What's more worth dying for than this? Dying for it is meaningless. If it kills you, we still have to deal with the orb, and you'll be dead. Think about the people who care about you. What are they to do? 
How can you even consider that? We're talking about ending a reign of terror here. Isn't this more important? It's not to me. The little halfling sap. He's practically blubbering. This is bigger than you, Terran. You should be used to that. He shakes his head. There has to be another way. My pointy ears there does. I may not like it, but I got no choice. There's always a choice. The little idiot starts moving, and before I realize what's happening, he has the moonstone in hand. What are you doing? He's got a funny look in his eye. I start to get up, and he dances out of reach. Get back here with that! I make for him, but he turns and runs out of the bushes along the bank of the rushing river. He tucks the orb under his arm and scrambles up the trunk of a river birch like a squirrel, his bare toes finding grips I couldn't hope to. In an instant, he's up it, looking down at me from the spindly trunk. If I try to climb up after him, I risk the branches snapping back and catapulting him into the next kingdom over. What are you doing? I demand. What are you going to do? Ending this! He can't even string two matching sentences together, and he thinks he can end this. He starts staring into the orb. Stop! Taran, so help me, don't you dare! Oh, so it's not alright if I do it. What? It's fine for you to sacrifice yourself, but not me? Not if you have to be the one left behind? Just put the moonstone down, Taran! He clutches the thing to his chest like he just gave birth to it. Look, someone's gotta do this, and you're not tough enough, so hand it down here. Someone has to do it, maybe. And for that to happen, not everyone who comes along can leave it to somebody else. I'm not saying you shouldn't be brave. I'm not saying you shouldn't try. I'm not even saying you shouldn't push your limits. And what are you saying? I grumble. I'm losing the caravan of thought here. I'm saying you don't have to die for this. Your death won't accomplish anything, and if there's a high chance you'll end up dying, it's not worth it. Are you saying I'm not strong enough? He holds out a palm. I'm not saying you're weak. You're incredible with a bow and thinking your way out of scrapes. But there are different sorts of strength. Remember the time the dark lady possessed that tavern girl to get to us, and you fell right under her mind control? I thought she needed help. Or when you came out against the goblins brandishing that hand of glory, only to find out it was a dud? Last time I shop at that second-hand store. Or when you scanned the entire orb room for traps and then set one off at the first flagstone. That was... Uh... You have to acknowledge that there are things you aren't as strong at, and allow them to be alright. Is this some sort of halfling credo to compensate for your height? Some things you can't control, and that's fine. Pick your battles. I glower up at him. I pick this one. Now he starts to get huffy. You're not being a hero. You're being an idiot and selfish person. You're not stopping to think about other people. What are you? Who do you think I'm thinking about? I'm trying to save the world here. He shakes his rock-hard head. You could sculpt diamonds on that thing. We don't even know this'll do that. You could just die. And I'm telling you, that's a risk I'm willing to take. Well, I'm not. And without another word, he flings the orb from the birch into the seething river. 
It vanishes instantly in the foam. I gape at the spot where the roiling water swallowed our hope. What have you done? I, I just threw the moonstone into the river. I can see that! Now the dark lady can't use it, but she'll find it again! Not if we defeat her first. See, there was another way. Two heads are better than one. Some of the time, sure, but yours is stupid. That's a good thing we've still got yours. Taryn grins a grin that's begging to have a tooth put out and slides down the tree to stand beside me. Well, work it out. I sigh. And now the chance is gone, I start to wonder if he wasn't right after all. Had the thing drawn me in as soon as I'd looked into it? If it had killed me, no one'd be better off. Terran quite the opposite. In darkness, it's not as though I'm eager to get myself killed. There's more than one way to save the world. You don't have to die in vain. I get it already. Put a sock in it. He stretches, curling his toes in the grass. Put a what in it? Never mind. Jared turned a corner and paused to stretch himself. As he did so, his wounded side protested. Three times. Three times he had nearly lost his life, his neck nearly bitten, nearly throttled, nearly crushed. And still the vampire stalked the streets. If there was a good time to get out of the vampire hunting business, it was definitely while you were still alive. Maybe I should take up cliff diving. It was all right, really, wasn't it? To know when to quit? He wasn't a vampire hunter. He had no special skills in that department. His risk of dying was astronomical, and it would certainly be a death in vain. I tried the night. I couldn't do it. Maybe I can find some other way to help. But I'm not going in again. Three strikes, I'm out. And a weight lifted from his mind. It was over. It had been stupid and insane, and it was over. He would sleep well tonight. Jared woke up. It was still dark outside. This never happened. He had trouble falling asleep occasionally, trouble waking up perpetually, but trouble staying asleep? Never. Something was off. Something was wrong. A gash of darkness yawned against the white of the wall. The door was open. He had bolted the door. His eyes, fixated on the black of the hallway leaking in, were drawn by something in his peripheral vision. There was something 
moving in the gloom around the desk, something large and dark, crawling, scuttling up the wall and onto the ceiling, progressing across that in darting leaps like a cockroach, making an awful scuffing, tearing sound, coming closer and closer to his bed. Jared lay, paralyzed, every hair on his body on end, as the jerking shadow moved over top of him, unable to close his eyes, to pull the blanket up over his head, as if that would make the nightmare go away. For an interminable instant, the shape clung there, immutable, then, very slowly, it shifted, and a pale oval materialized, inset with a pair of mocking black eyes. And it fell. Jared hurled himself off the bed as the shadow came plummeting down, twisting to land in a squat on top of it, the springs squealing in protest. He clambered to his feet, turning for the desk where his satchel lay, the seal on top of it, but the figure had already risen and leaped for the bag, flinging it and the scroll past the doorway and into the kitchen recess, where they skidded out of sight. He made to go after his defenses, but in a room this size he was cut off in two strides and backed into a corner in three. As the vampire bore down upon him, the cold light from the window slid up over his chin to gleam on the canines displayed in a victorious, ravenous smile. Jared shrank back, his mind a heaving sea of panic, slipping on a stray sock and stumbling sideways into the cabinet, the small of his back knocking against a protruding knob, rattling its doors, and something else. His breath caught as he flashed back to the screech of a subway car, to the monster's cry, and he sank to his knees, fumbling behind him, the vampire crouching in turn, black eyes beginning to contract, hand reaching for his throat. Jared's hand hit the alarm clock, the one with the hammer and bells, and his fingers wrenched the dial at the back, forcing the alarm time to now. A clangor erupted from the little machine, and he flung it in the vampire's face. The monster keened, clamping gloved hands over his ears, stumbling sideways and falling onto the bed. Jared scrambled up, going for his bag. From the adjoining apartment, a voice raised in a string of curses, and there was a banging of a door being thrown open. Jared retrieved the seal from beside the fridge as Stokes took up beating on the hallway door, which opened at once under the barrage, swinging inwards. Start the hell! The form on the bed had risen, an arm over its face, and now dashed for the door, shoving past Stokes' hulking frame and disappearing off down the hall. His neighbor gopped after it for a moment, then turned his rage on Jared, who was squeezing out from behind the hallway door, which had cut off the kitchen recess. What is going on in here? Jared scooped the alarm clock from the floor, shutting it off. It was, uh... A burglar. He tripped the alarm. Stokes shot him a withering look, then, as if there might be more burglars about, hurried off to defend his own space. Heads had appeared in the doorways down the hall. Jared shut the door behind him, numbly noting the loose knob, the screws that had fixed the bolt to the doorframe, torn clean from the plaster, and retreated to the bed to slump onto it. What? The vampire had followed him home. The vampire had entered 
uninvited. He wasn't safe here. He wasn't safe anywhere. He rubbed his dry eyes, suddenly aware of the gravitational pull of the bed beneath him. He stood up hastily. The cops. There'd been a break-in, right? Call the cops. Jared made his way down to the lobby, picked up the phone, and dialed 911. Hello. Informational bulletin. Print it out and pin it on your board. I want to bring you this story faster, but these episodes take rather an obscene amount of time to produce. I'm not even going to tell you how long. Seriously, it's embarrassing. And while this pace would be more than sustainable as a full-time job, it's proving rather not to be on top of one. And that's not even allowing for such important artistic steps as writer's block and wallowing in opprobrious despair. So what I have to do for now is switch production to, at minimum, by moonly and no, that doesn't mean twice a moon. You know how much work it is to start a podcast. Design cover art, find music, study voice acting, audio editing, make a website, sure, why not? Research, write, edit, record, edit, repeat. I tell you, a vampire podcast, it's... It's draining. <coughs> anyway. This is how it's gonna be, while I pay for shelter and stuff. If you live in a far future land, check the podcast description. Perhaps I'll have managed to speed things up again. Or have finished. Because make no mistake... This story will keep coming, creeping into your bedroom at night while you lie asleep. Next up, Vampire Vigilante.